Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. This week, we're looking at dividend stocks. Motley Fool contributor Matt DeLalo joins me to give an update on our top dividend stock picks for the year 2020 and share a couple picks for dividend stocks to buy for 2021. Matt, thanks for joining me on the podcast once again. Hey, thanks for having me again. Uh, great to have you back on. As I mentioned, we're going to be taking a look back at some dividend stocks that we pitched back on January 23rd, 2020, so about a year ago. See how those were performed and uh, take a look at a couple more dividend stocks that we might want to look at uh, for 2021. But before we get into that, Matt, I know you're someone who, who invests in a lot of dividend stocks. It's a big part of your portfolio. Why are dividends an important pro- part of your investing process? Yeah, one of the early things I learned is that dividend stocks, especially those that grow their payouts consistently, they tend to outperform other stocks. So that just stuck with me early on. And then it's just so nice to get paid for something you didn't do. And that, you know, it was like the first paycheck I got, I think it was like, Procter and Gamble, maybe like 30 cents or something really small, but it was just to see that payment in my portfolio just stuck with me and I've just been investing in dividends ever since. Absolutely. I, like an analogy I've just been kicking around in my brain recently is like, you know, when you're a kid and you play like kickball and there's not enough people to play the game. So you have like ghost runners on base. And, and you know you've got you've got to like knock the ghost runners out. I keep thinking about that as like investing, right? I put this this money I worked and I put it away, and I get to put these ghost runners on base. And sometimes we get dividends. Those runners are coming home, right? And you get that you get that cash. So so that's the way I've been thinking about it. Um, so when you're looking for a dividend stock, Matt, what are some traits you look for? What what are the criteria you're looking at? Yeah, and my dividend strategy has kind of changed over time because I've learned from all the mistakes that I made as an investor. And and one of the early ones was yield. Like, you know, if you saw 10% yield, I would think in my mind, oh, that's great. You know, I just sit back and collect the dividend and I don't have to worry about capital appreciation. But there's usually a reason for those bigger yields. And I've had enough of those blow up over time to realize that yield isn't the first thing to look for. Um, Sustainability, durability, and more importantly, growth. As I mentioned, stocks that grow their dividends every year. Um, there's been several studies out there that they tend to outperform uh, the S&P 500. So I've focused more on like what companies can grow their dividends, not focusing so much on yield, but you know, is this durable? And that strategy has really paid off, especially this year. You know, a lot of companies cut their dividends, but some of those that you know, really focus on that durability, they really shine this year. Yeah, and Matt, that, that gives us a, a nice transition to talking about uh, those stocks that we talked about back on the January uh, 23rd, 2020 episode. We're going to do those in alphabetical order. I basically rip it a page right out of David Gardner's book. He'll always go through his uh, his five stop samplers in alphabetical order and give you a, a, a comparison against the market. So uh, the first one in alphabetical order is Brookfield Infrastructure Partners, ticker BIP. Since January 2020, uh, up 14% in total return. These are dividend stocks. We want to look at total return, lumping in the dividend, trailing the S&P by just a little bit, S&P 17.9%. What can you tell us about what Brookfield Infrastructure does and you know what's happened to them over the past year or so? Yeah, so Brookfield Infrastructure, kind of like as the name implies, they own a bunch of infrastructure. In this case, they own pipelines, they own uh, cell towers, data centers, all these kind of 
backbone type things that you need to function in the economy. So they'll own those and operate those. And they, they sign long-term contracts with governments and with companies. And those contracts pay them steady cash flow. And that's what they use to support the dividend. And um, they've just really been a great company to own over the years because of we've learned how important infrastructure is to the economy. And they've been on the forefront of kind of bringing something out there for uh, just retail investors like myself to own this infrastructure that is just, you know, great long-term investments. Right. These are the things that are kind of the arteries of kind of your economy and things like that. You mentioned a, two, a couple big acquisitions this year. Can you tell us about those? Yeah. So uh, Brookfield, a lot of their growth is by acquisition. They'll, they bought cell towers in India. That was a big acquisition for them. They partnered with one of the big Indian telecom companies, bought this huge portfolio. It's backed by long-term contracts. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, very important for mobile data. You know, as we know, in the United States, we use mobile data all the time, uh, you know, with our cell phones, we're always, you know, checking videos when you're standing in line at the store or, or that sort of thing. And, you know, so this this one's in India. And then um, the other thing was they bought a stake in Chenier, uh Energy Partners, which is they own a big natural gas, uh, liquefied natural gas export facility in um, Louisiana. It was the first one that was ever built for export on the lower 48 states. And uh, so they bought that stake from uh, Blackstone Group, who um, really helped finance the construction of that project. They want to kind of monetize it. So it's two massive acquisitions. I think they spent a billion dollars total for that. And uh, great businesses throw off lots of cash. That's great for this, the dividend, which is you know the really main reason I'm buying Brookfield. Right. When you, you talk about the, the cell towers, obviously with, with 5G coming on board, more and more demand uh, for densification of, of those towers. And then on the LNG side, I mean, we, we've seen a lot of uh, strong performance in LNG uh, uh, this year, Matt. I mean, it, does that say something about maybe they, they had some great timing with these acquisitions? Well, and that's what's so great about Brookfield is they'll look for dislocations in the market. Uh, you know, so when Times are tough. That's when Brookfield will go and buy stuff. And earlier this year, the energy market just went, you know, down the toilet. And that's when Brookfield was out there looking for these type of acquisitions. So they got a really good deal on Chenier because at the time, you know, LNG prices were low and they didn't know, you know, what was going on. But LNG is just so vital for kind of this bridge fuel transition to renewable energy. You know, it's, uh, it's so much cleaner than oil and we can use it to generate power and, and to do a lot of things. So uh, it's just a great business backed by long-term contracts, but there's some upside to the LNG prices too with that structure. So it was just a great timing. I think it's going to be a good long-term deal for them. Yeah. So uh, we'll see what happens there with Brookfield in infrastructure on those deals. As we look out into, into 2021, uh, what are the prospects for, for the dividend to increase over time and kind of deals on, 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 the, on the horizon for them? Yeah, so last year, Brookfield actually did pretty well despite the pandemic. They're going to be up on the year, which is really surprising uh, because they do have some economically sensitive businesses, some toll roads in South America, and then we got some uh, railroads and ports. Um, but as those bounce back, so, uh, you know, like the headwinds are going to be turn, turning into tailwinds. So you've got that. And then they expected that deal for the cell towers to close early in the year. It didn't. It closed later in the year. So that's going to be a benefit, the LNG deal. So they could actually grow their earnings 20% this year, which is really a lot for, you know, when you're thinking about a slow, low risk company, that that's a, a lot. And they've got a lot of organic growth too. They'll, they'll buy a business that they can, you know, do some expansion projects on them, you know, so I think this is going to be a good year for their earnings. And the dividend, um, they're targeting 5 to 9% per year. I think they did 7% in 2020. So I would say 7% would be a safe bet this year. And you know, if you have earnings growing at 20% and the dividend growing only at 7%, that's going to make the dividend safer long term. 
Yeah, when we've got a new administration in place, there's this joke of it's always infrastructure week. Well, maybe maybe infrastructure week is coming uh, uh, once again here uh, in 2021. Last thing before we move on uh, from Brookfield Infrastructure, we always get this question about, okay, Brookfield Infrastructure Partners, that's ticker BIP. They've also come out with Brookfield Infrastructure Corporation, ticker BIPC. There's been a little bit of a difference in performance of those BIPC, BIPC shares relative to BIP, also a difference in the corporate form. Can you just walk us through the, the puts and takes of owning those two different entities as an individual investor? Yeah, so Brookfield Infrastructure Partners, BIP, that's basically a master limited partnership. And there's IRS regulations behind that of how much they have to pay out of their cash flow. And it's very popular energy sector, you know, the past couple of years. But retail investors have kind of moved away from that because MLPs themselves blew up because of the oil market downturn. That's kind of like held Brookfield back. Retail investors just don't like that structure. And I can personally vouch for it. Um, you know, you get your, it's called a schedule K1. Uh, it, it'll come sometimes in late March. And if you want to do your taxes, you have to wait for that. It can impact getting a mortgage. I know for myself, I had a couple of issues, um, you know, I had to explain a way that no, I'm not an actual partner in, you know, like a law firm. It's a, you know, a publicly traded company. And, you know, so there's been those issues. So to alleviate those issues, Brookfield is, is creating uh, corporations that just to make it easy for the average investor to buy that in an IRA specifically uh, because a lot of IRAs won't let you own a master limited partnership so it just opened them up to this whole extra investor universe and that's really why you've seen that relative outperformance because just uh, the average investor Brookfield's a great company this is a way that they can own it so it's been a really good idea for them. Right. So, so maybe you've seen some people selling the BIP shares and buying the PIPC shares. Incrementally, you have, you have more demand for those BIPC shares for, from certain shareholders. So I think it, over the long term, we'd expect those to, to trade relatively near to each other, if not you know, identically, based on the assets that are underlying, correct? You would think so, but I think taxes will play a role into it. Uh, you know, the, some of the reason that MLPs have under, underperformed is because the Trump tax cuts a couple of years ago made corporations there, there wasn't such a big gap between corporate taxes and and you know the MLPs that have this tax deferred. So, for example, if President Biden raises corporate taxes, that might make MLPs attractive again, and you could actually see it shift. Or, uh, you know, you could just see investors just like, I don't want to deal with the hassle and they'll, they'll stick with the, the corporate shares. Yeah, so something something to, uh, to keep our eyes on uh, as this new year um, plays out. Let's move on uh, to, to the second company on the list. It's Enterprise Products Partners, ticker EPD, in the oil and gas space. So had a little bit of a tough year in 2020, minus 9% total return versus 18% for the S&P. So minus 27 points uh, in uh, 2020. So, so Jason, that, uh, excuse me, Jason, Matt, that begs the question, uh, the stock lost money in, 2021, uh, in 2020. How did that happen? I didn't, yeah. I didn't know they allowed that. Yeah. Well, there's several reasons to play. That MLP piece that I mentioned, that's that's weighing on them because they're an MLP. Then you had the oil market just blow up. And, uh, you know, so that, that's been an issue. But here's the thing with these infrastructure companies. And basically what enterprises does, they own infrastructure. They own pipelines, processing plants, storage facilities, all backed by long-term contracts. So their cash flow is pretty good. Uh, there was some volumes that, that uh, you know, for example, if they're gathering pipe, gathering oil and gas from an actual well, if that well was turned off, they're not going to get paid unless they have a minimum value contract. So there was a little bit of that that's weighing on them. Um, but you also have just like this 
disdain from investors that don't want to oil oil and gas stocks there last year you know we'll talk about this in a little bit renewables was just like the thing and so you've got that relative people just bailing on oil and gas and going to renewables and you know so there's just so many things that were weighing on it last year right but, but at the end of the day i guess uh, you know long-term demand for oil and gas that the long-term kind of trajectory i guess hasn't been changed significantly when it comes to to, to the pandemic so i guess that the demand for these pipes do you think that's changed in a meaningful way as a result of, of what happened in 2020? You know, I think it's still too early to tell. You have one camp that will say that the pandemic has just ruined oil and gas for, you know, like we've hit the peak and it's never going to go higher again. Uh, because, for example, one of the things that was going to drive a lot of the demand was airlines. We're just, you know, we're traveling a lot more for work. And and if, you know, here we are on Zoom right now. And if if that becomes the kind of standard way that people do business meetings in the future, then, you know, you're not going to have the demand for airlines. On the converse side, if uh, you know people just want to travel more overall, and people want to do these meetings face to face, then you know we'll see it bounce back. So uh, I really think it's up in the air, and that's why you know I'm, I'm leery about adding too much of these right now. Uh, but if you're just looking for stability, I, I still think there's a lot of oil and gas that we're going to consume in the years ahead. So I think they're they're going to generate a lot of cash for you know at least a decade or two more. Right. So, so you look at the dividend yield today, you mentioned earlier, kind of, you know, you see these high dividend yields, you want to be a little bit skeptical. They're in like the 8% range. Um, how reliable do you see that payout being today? Any concerns there? I don't have any concerns with them. Uh, there's lots of other energy ones that are in that same range or higher that I would have concerns with, but they generate a lot of cash, they have a lot of diversification. I think they cover by 1.6 times their cash flow. So that's around a 60 something percent payout ratio. So that's pretty good. And then that other 40% or so cash that completely funds their expansion projects. And they're not expanding as much anymore. So that expansion spending is going to come down. So that's actually going to allow them to generate excess cash, which they'll use probably to buy back, you know, some of these cheap units. Uh, they have a great balance sheet investment grade. So paying off debt isn't an issue. So they're they're just a very well positioned as the energy market bounces back. They could start doing acquisitions, uh, you know, to kind of fill in gaps in their their system. So I, I really think that they're going to be one of the long term uh, winners uh, for whatever the energy market has. Absolutely. Like I think we're still going to be using oil and gas going forward. Uh, obviously, we're going to be driving around, be using oil for, for all the you know composites and things like that, plastics that that use oil. And so, and so the, the, this infrastructure uh, is going to be important. The other thing you mentioned, Matt, about this idea they're not expanding as much, it's it's hard to build new pipelines. So one of the, the first acts of the new administration uh, this week was to sign an order canceling the permit for the Keystone XL pipeline. This is something that's been back and forth, you know, been a regulatory football going all the way back to 2008. Um, but now it looks like there's finally the nail in the coffin um, of that pipeline project that was planned uh, to take oil down from Canada down to the, the, the Gulf Coast of the U.S. for refining um, and things like that. Enterprise products, obviously, in the oil pipeline space. How does this regulatory action impact the, these other companies in the sector? You know, it could have a big impact because there's been issues with pipeline like that Keystone XL is only one example of the many pipelines that they've had problems getting built over the years just because uh, there's just this uh, not in my backyard sentiment um, you know 
just the environmentalists and and others that are conscious of the environment you know do why why build a pipeline when we could spend that you know putting in a, a wind farm or, or something that's actually good for the environment so i think companies are going to be much more reluctant to build um pipelines in the future i know um williams company big natural gas pipeline company they came out their ceo came out and said he's doesn't you know they're like they don't think it makes sense to even pitch new pipeline projects right now. Uh, they, they had a problem getting a natural gas pipeline built and natural gas, you know, we've talked about it. It's a great pitch for and even for those that have trouble getting built. So to, to build new pipelines, I think it's going to be problematic in the future. Companies are going to have to get really creative and. You know, I I know uh, TC Energy who's who wants to build Keystone XL. They've they talked about you know spending an extra billion, uh, seven hundred million dollars to to basically make that more of a greener project through solar power, wind power, and those sorts of things to to reduce the carbon footprint. So if something like that is found acceptable, then maybe you'd see more pipelines get built. But I think we're in for uh, several years where we're not going to see many pipelines built and that that could cause problems down the road because if uh, we do end up needing more oil and gas because demand increases then we're just not going to have the infrastructure to to kind of move that around right you hear warren buffett and charlie munger talk sometimes about like they're not going to put in new railroads and and maybe to a certain extent we're seeing uh uh things play out to maybe we're not going to put in new pipelines. So there's puts and takes here, but for, for enterprise products, uh, they should be in a position to continue producing cash flow on a reliable basis uh, um, going forward. Just any, any final thoughts on that company as kind of a, a future investment? Yeah, I think, you know, there, there's two types of messages that should want to consider this uh, value investors because of the stock falling last year and it's been down for a couple of years. It's trading really cheap relative to its cash flow. So, you know, if you have that kind of value bend, you know, especially in the overheated market where there's everything seems to be trading at such a premium, that's, you know, pipeline stocks in general are, are an interesting place to look for value. And then, you know, if you're looking for yield, I've. I really have a lot of confidence in, in enterprises yield. I think that one's one of the safer ones in the, the sector. But on the converse side, you have to put up with those K1s. So, you know, it's something to keep in mind, too. Right. If they were able to maintain the dividend through what we just saw in 2020, you've kind of been stress tested for, for what could happen in, in, in a terrible scenario. So we'll see what, what happens going forward. But I think for a dividend investor, um, Enterprise is still, still an attractive uh, company to invest in. If you're looking for growth, you know some of these challenges around building new pipelines might, might limit just how big uh, this whole industry can get, but we shall see. Oh, that last pick, Matt, Next Era Energy, um, this, is, this is the one that's really performed, performed quite well. 32% total return, the number two overall performer in the utilities sector, outperforming the S&P. Uh, by 14%. What can you tell us about Next Era? You know, it's it's really it's so surprising sometimes when you see what stocks do so well. And Next Era is a, a utility. You think of a utility as, you know, the slow grow, sluggish, they pay a dividend. But Next Era has, um, in addition to the utility, so they own the massive utility in, in Florida, but they have one of the biggest renewable energy businesses in the world. And that's really what's been driving them. They've been a great uh, total return play for the past you know, decade and a half because of this renewable energy. They've been really early in renewable energy. They're really good at building these projects and that enables them to keep growing. Last year, it helped offset some demand issues uh, with electricity. And it's just, it's the story with Nextera right now. Right. I mean, they're kind of a, a 
made the blueprint for some of the these utilities, right? They leaned into renewables the earliest. Uh, they have, you know, the market has rewarded them with, I think they're the highest, highest value utility on the market, Matt. I mean, do, do you know that offhand? At one point, they were the top energy stock in the country, like more than Exxon and more than Chevron. So yeah, they're just really been highly rewarded for this. Absolutely. So obviously, incredible performance looking backwards. They're in this Florida market, which is going to continue to grow. We hear about everybody moving to Miami yeah. uh, uh, right now. Uh, they're, they're, they're set up for, for renewables for, from a from wind and solar point of view, I guess. Uh, when you look out going forward, there, there's been such great returns for the stock uh, in, in the rearview mirror. What are the prospects for continued uh, promising returns from here? Yeah, they've got a huge pipeline of projects. So uh, off the top of my head, they have 15 gigawatts of renewable energy project which is the biggest in the world their pipeline of new projects is bigger than that so they basically are going to double their size over the next couple of years now they'll sell some of these and you know to help finance it but they just have this huge backlog of projects and it's only going to get better because the cost of uh you know solar panels specifically in battery storage is coming down to where Next set of things, by 2023, 2024, it'll be cheaper to build a solar project with battery storage that makes it like basically steady power uh, than a new natural gas power plant. You know, so that's just game changing as far as, uh, you know, the, the, the energy industry goes. And they're just a leader in battery storage. They're a leader in solar. So lots of growth coming up from them. Um, and that's reflected in what they see. Had they see 10% earnings growth this year, you know, remember utility, 10% earnings growth is pretty fantastic. And then six to eight plus percent for 2022 and 23 on top of that, you know, that, that's really good growth for what's one of the lowest risk companies out there, top, top notch balance sheet, you know, one of the most conservative payout ratios for the dividend in the utility sector. So just it's a great way to play this uh, growth. Um, yeah, this opportunity, right? And yeah, I think you look at next era. It's hard to find. You, know, you look at the past performance. You look at the opportunity going forward. You look at the enthusiasm around renewable energy. It's really hard to tell yourself a story about why things go wrong. But I'm going to ask you to do that, Matt, just because we said so many nice things about it. If what is you know, tell a story about how Next Era Energy as an investment might go wrong. Well. We kind of mentioned valuation is becoming an issue in the stock market itself. And I think that's one thing that could become an issue. If you had a stock market crash uh, just based on valuation, that could impact NextEra because they need to sell stock to help finance their growth. We mentioned um, Enterprise. They're self-funding all their growth. But NextEra is really reliant more on the market to help fund their growth. Uh, they have a their own kind of partnership called NextEra Energy Partners, and they use that to, to help fund this equity portion of their growth. And if they can't sell stock either through that partnership or through themselves, that, that could impact their ability. They might have to take on too much debt. So that that's just one example of how what looks like a, a no-brainer could blow up. Yeah, so so we shall see. Hopefully, hopefully that doesn't that doesn't happen. But uh, but if it does, we'll be here to, to talk about it, Matt. Uh, so so on this this kind of overall portfolio from, from 2020. Down about 17 points behind the S&P when you lump everything together. Obviously, obviously got whacked a little bit with, with the enterprise products uh, events. Kind of thoughts on that overall, and just you know, from a from a dividend kind of income point of view, how do you think this portfolio held up? You know, with income dividends type stocks, it, it's kind of tough to measure them against the S&P 500 if that's not your goal. And for a lot of dividend type investors, now I would love to under, outperform the S&P 500. That is my personal goal. But um, I'm okay with getting some underperformance uh, for one year, as long as I'm getting that income 
because for me personally, I use that to buy um, higher growth stocks. Uh, a lot of people, they'll reinvest it right into that company or they'll uh, spend that money. So, but, you know, for 11% return from low risk dividend stocks, I mean, I would take that year in, year out, no problem. Yeah, and again, I think if you told me uh, that that we would hold up as well as we did, especially on the on the the, the oil side of the business, the, the pipeline business, uh, with with all the kind of volatility throughout the year, I, I think I think things pre- perform pretty well, all, all things considered. But we'll check back next year to see how how that portfolio is continuing uh, to do. And we've got a couple more stocks to add to the list that we can check back on, uh, uh, Matt. So uh, first one on the list for our 2021. Uh, list Brookfield Renewable. We've talked about this one a ton, but for folks who haven't heard us talk about it before, what can you tell us about Brookfield Renewable? Well, if you remember the beginning of the segment, we talked about Brookfield Infrastructure. So this is the sibling company that it's uh, they focus on, as the name suggests, renewable energy. They mostly they're mostly hydropower. That's kind of where they got their start, but. They also own wind farms and they've gotten into solar the past couple of years and they sell that um, under long-term fixed rate contracts. They're called PPAs, power purchase agreements, basically to utilities and other big uh, end users. And so it generates very steady cash flow and they use that cash to pay the dividend. And then um, they'll reinvest some of it to build new projects and to make acquisitions. Right. I mean, this is a company that ever since I've come on this podcast, I've been hosting this podcast for like three and a half years. We've been talking about Brookfield Renewable as a great way uh, to invest in in renewable energy uh, the whole time. And and it's been um, a great performer. Can you talk about kind of its it's, track record of performance and I guess what opportunities you see for continued growth from here? Yeah, it, it starts at the top. You know, Brookfield Asset Management is kind of the company behind these two entities, and they're just so good. They're, in my opinion, up there with the Warren Buffetts of the world. You know, obviously not as good as him, but they just have a great track record of allocating capital. They know how to make value investments, and and so they look at it more from that value side of things. They'll they'll look for opportunities to buy, you know, renewable portfolio cheaper. Uh, you know, for example, a company might be struggling financially and so they'll grab, you know, their renewable business. And they've used that to build these uh, pipelines of projects. And so that's really helped them outperform. They always maintain a top-notch balance sheet. So that lets them access capital cheaper. And, um, you know, they're always looking for returns. For a long time, renewables was all about the government incentives. But as uh, costs have come down, you've had these return focused companies like Brookfield getting in there. And so Brookfield, they know how to make money. That's, you know, and so that's the big thing. Like they know how to make money from solar. Now they, they've they figured out the best ways to, you know, for solar and they see so much growth in solar alone because of how good the returns can be with, with the cost coming down. That's just, for me, it's really exciting to see. Yeah. And so you look at with this uh, Brookfield renewable, it's the same uh, type of, of factors we saw earlier of the, the, Brookfield Infrastructure Partners and Brookfield Infrastructure Corporation. There's also a Brookfield Renewable Corporation, BEPC. Is it the same puts and takes here? Anything special to, to talk about uh, relative to what we talked about earlier? Yeah, it's the same type of thing. They, they in this case, they use that to acquire the rest of Terraform Power, which is another re- renewable company that they own a stake in. And, you know, so in this case, they use it as like an acquisition currency. And that that's kind of something to keep an eye on, whether they use that to make other acquisitions in the space in the future. Okay. Yeah. And then kind of last thing, Matt, as we look at kind of opportunities in the future, you mentioned kind of this push into solar with Terraform Power. Historically, they, they had been a predominantly uh, hydropower business. They still, I think, hydropower is the majority uh, of what's bringing in revenues for the company. But you know, as far as future opportunities, where they see uh, room for growth, where are we seeing from this business? Yeah, they've really become, they're going to become a solar dominated company in the, in the next few years. They bought several pipelines of, of the 
development projects. The, the company in, um, I think it was Spain called Exilio, huge, massive pipeline of projects. They just bought Exelon, which is a utility in the United States. They bought their solar business, which, which came with a pipeline. They bought a huge project in Brazil, uh, one of the largest solar projects in the country. And uh, they believe they can get 20% returns on investment from that project. So lots of solar growth uh, coming down you know, for them. They think within 10 years, solar could be the dominant uh, business for them. And that's not because they don't like wind or hydro. It's just the returns that they can get because of how low cost solar has become is just too good to pass up. Right. These guys go where the money is, where, where they can make the money. And they have this, these cash flows coming in from those other assets um, that they can redeploy. So really lots of runway for them. They perform well in the past and hopefully they continue to do so in the future. And we'll keep talking about them um, on the podcast. So Matt, uh, your other uh, uh, stock you have for us is Clearway Energy, C-W-E-N is the ticker. And this is another one that if you look at past performance has performed quite well. So it was the top performer in the utility sector in the year 2020. Yeah, they, they really did a great job last year. Part of that is um, one of their top customers is uh, California Utility, uh, PG&E. They had gone bankrupt, and so that kind of weighed on them, and uh, that bankruptcy got settled. And so that freed up the cash flow that was kind of tied to that company because they, they had uh, – their lenders made basically restricted any cash that came from that uh, because they want to make sure that they got paid. And so that freed up that cash flow and they were able to boost the dividend. Uh, 59% last year was the dividend increase. And then they, they were able to use whatever cash that had kind of built up over the past year to make acquisitions. And they, they've just made several investments. And it, it's a similar concept to uh, the, the Brookfield Asset Management, Brookfield Renewable Partnership, where they have actually two parents in their level. Uh, they, there's a private equity fund called Global Infrastructure Partners. They own uh, their other parent, which is Clearway Energy Group, and Clearway Energy Group develops uh, renewable energy projects. So you have this kind of these two parents that supply them with deals. So uh, Global Energy or Global Infrastructure, they, for example, in the past have bought natural gas um, generating plants, so natural gas power plant, and then they'll sell it down. And then uh, Clearway Energy Group, they'll develop a wind farm and then sell it down. So you have these two growth drivers and that, that's just given them all these opportunities to make acquisitions and investments, which is given the, the dividend, um, the power needs to grow. Right. So obviously, you know, we're not going to see a 59% uh, increase in the dividend here here in 2021. We're maybe past that that catalyst. But uh, when you look out to, to th this next year, still lots of opportunities for, for continued reinvestment uh, with these partners. Yeah, they're looking at um, five to eight percent dividend growth for the next several years. Probably eight percent this year because of all the acquisitions last year, and a lot of the acquisitions they've made also have like a longer term catalyst. Like they'll buy a, for example, or they in, are invested in a portfolio of projects that Clearway Energy Group is developing. And as that portfolio, each project kind of comes online, that's when they'll close the acquisition and they'll get that cash flow. And that gives them pretty good solid visibility to all the way out to 2023. So you've got you know steady growth coming, uh, you know, so that gives them a steady growing dividend. And uh, you know, so as long as investors don't sour on renewable energy, uh, you know, the total returns could still be decent from here. Right, and I, and it's hard to hard to envision envision a future where where you know we're going to turn around on renewable energy, just given how much you know force there is behind it from a public will point of view, a political point of view, um, all those sorts of things. Kind of maybe last question for you for you, Matt. We're, we're talking about Clearway Energy, uh, talking about Brookfield Renewable. They're they're 
both of these are part of these yield co type investments on, on renewable energy. And we talk about these a lot as an area that you want to look at uh, as compared to solar panels or, or some of these other uh, subsectors, at least if you're looking for reliability and something that, that's not going to be um, as volatile. Can you explain why, why that, that area is something that, that you look at specifically for investments? It goes to how they're structuring their companies. Uh, you know, you can kind of almost compare these util- these um, yield co's uh to like the pipeline companies in the oil and gas industry and then your for example your solar panel manufacturers have a lot of comparability to an oil and gas producer their sales go up and down with demand you know and right now demand you know for solar panels is going to be through the roof so that's that's not so much an issue but you know you're, you're looking at that infrastructure that steady cash flow and so for a dividend investor that's that's what you want is that steady cash flow as opposed to uh, the volatility that you'll get if you know even like solar panels this year there were some declines because of the pandemic it didn't impact returns but it could in the future if there's a year where they change the tax structure or you know there's just a bad year for solar that could you know really hit solar stocks but it wouldn't so much hurt the cash flows of one of these yield costs. Right. So, so there, there's a lot more volatility in demand for putting in place renewable energy installations versus, you know, once you're already producing power, listen, man, if the economy is good or the economy is bad, I need to turn the lights on at night and I need to turn the heat on and all those sorts of things. So a lot less volatility in the demand for that product uh, that they're serving, if you want to talk about it um, that way. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely how I would put it. And, you know, that's that's stability. That's so key for dividends, because when you have that stable cash flow and a lot of these contracts will be 10, 15 years. So you're just looking at just sitting back and collecting that income for a while. Awesome, Matt. So that's Brookfield uh, Renewable Energy and, and that's Clearway Energy. You had one last uh, watch list stock uh, for us, Matt. Oh, people always love stock picks. So I figure maybe, maybe we'll run a little along. We'll give an extra <laughs> stock pick in there. Can you tell us about uh, can you tell us about that one for us? Yeah, so this is uh, kind of going off the the uh, energy beaten path, but um, you know it has a couple of REITs for the Motley Fool, and this is a real estate investment trust. And so these type of companies, Gladstone say, Land is the name of it. Sorry, sorry, Matt, I didn't introduce it well for you. Gladstone Land is the name of the company. Yeah, sorry, Gladstone Land. It's a real estate investment trust, and it owns farmland, which is you know I think that's kind of unique. There's actually two out there that owns farmland, and the it, they'll own you know so you're not talking about your your crops. Uh, you know you wrote cornfields and wheat fields, they'll own like a pistachio orchard and a strawberry farm, and they'll lease that back or to a farmer who actually, um, you know, farms it and they get paid rent on that. And, um, you know, they, they pay a three plus percent dividend monthly. And so who doesn't want to get paid monthly as opposed to quarterly? And they've had a good track record of growing it. I think it's 21 out of 24, the last 24 quarters, they've, they've increased that dividend. And it's just a, a neat way to kind of play that, you know, the, the, the food gro- growth that we have um, in the country, in the world. Uh, it's, you know, it's a safer, safer as in more stable cash flow way. Um, their balance sheet is kind of a concern of mine. Um, they're not like an investment grade rated company by any means. So that that's kind of a, a concern, but it's just a, it's something that's on my watch list. And so I thought I'd throw it out there. 
Awesome. Yeah, I, I have never heard of this company. This is my first time uh, hearing about this company. But the one fact I do have about Farmland is I saw a headline the other day that apparently Bill Gates is now the biggest owner of Farmland in the U.S. So, you know, Bill Gates, smart guy. If he thinks it's a good investment, maybe maybe I should uh, pay a little bit of attention. We'll see. Yeah. And even Warren Buffett, there's a story about him and Farmland that, um, you know, he, he bought a, a farm a long, long time ago. And just the appreciation of the, the land value uh, really did well for him. So it, it Farmland's an interesting investment. There aren't too many ways to invest it. And that's why you know it's kind of interesting stock. Yeah, we might need to do a whole episode on on farming stocks if folks are interested. And if you are, let me know. Email us at industryfocus um, at fool.com. Uh, Matt, thanks so much for coming on the show to share your thoughts and your stock ideas. Before we go away, I wanted to ask you one last question. We've talked about dividend stocks, reviewed some dividend stocks, look at some picks uh, going into the future. For folks who are listening that, that are income investors, folks who are looking uh, to invest in dividend stocks, what's your best piece of advice uh, for those folks? Do not look at the yield first. That has just been a bad practice for me in the past. Look at sustainability. Look at the balance sheet. Look at um, you know if it's in a growth industry, but do not focus on that yield because that'll burn you. Yeah, we said it twice because it's important, folks. So remember it, remember it, remember it. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For Matt DeLalo, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!